You're listening to Soccer Report Extra with Bobby McMahon and Owen O'Callaghan. Welcome to this week's edition of the Soccer Report Extra podcast. I'm Bobby McMahon, he is Owen O'Callaghan and we have producer Luke Crawford at the controls to give us adult supervision. Owen, let's start with El Clasico. 2-2, Barcelona's won the league, Barcelona's won the cup. Ridiculous lead over Real Madrid. And Real Madrid got the Champions League final against Liverpool. Kind of. So obviously there was nothing at stake here and nobody really <laughs> gave a crap about it, right? <laughs> Except they did. And it was pretty damn obvious on the park. It was tasty, wasn't it? It, it was. was. It, feisty. It, it, kind of, it kind of just sort of rolled along for a while. And then it got this Sergio Ramos induced explosion just before half time and he just kind of kicked it all off like you know if you're going to pick two players to who you think would sort of lead to something like that one would be Sergio Ramos the other one would be Luis Suarez and they were the two that were involved in the initial hargy bargy but it's funny isn't it when you're looking at these two teams and you're looking at um the the the, the bastard nature of uh, certain football <laughs> players um, which is the, the 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 players that you can absolutely acknowledge uh, for their ability, but, and but in equal measure their bastard-like qualities. Um, and you've mentioned two of them there. Um, you know, another two, for instance, would be someone like Sergio Busquets, and another one would be uh, Marcelo. <laughs> um, and yeah. so you kind of put all of that. So in terms of you have these two. Busquets ferocious. was quite quiet though, wasn't he? he compared you know what? to the rest, he's, he's of actually them. he's actually not been as much of an irritant as. As he has been in previous years, um, yeah. but uh, Marcelo, which we'll come to in a while, um, you know, was certainly part of of the overall uh, narrative of this game. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, obviously the the, the storyline that was peddled before it was that uh, these teams had nothing to play for, but uh, it almost actually seemed to maybe these players had actually taken a peek at that sort of storyline and, and, and vowed to rubbish it from as soon as, as, soon as the game kicked <laughs> off because um, I mean and there was just some lovely moments I mean you know even Messi you know taking even, a run at Ramos taking a run at Ramos you know just leaving and also I just love the dismissiveness of when the referee reaches for a yellow Messi just he couldn't give a shit he's already walking <laughs> off he's like listen I know it's a yellow mate I mean that's not the point the point is like I had to do it you know um um, I just thought it was great. I, I thought that um, I, even for uh, the Ronaldo goal, Pique kind of doing Ronaldo, you know, as he was, you know, yeah. there was nothing going to stop Ronaldo from scoring it, but Pique obviously was intent on hurting him anyway. Um, so, I, But there was good goals. There were great goals, weren't there? Awesome. Like, let's, let's maybe talk about the good stuff first, but yeah. the goals I thought were terrific. Yeah. The, the first two, um, uh, perhaps a little bit easy uh, defensively. The defence could have done better, but the 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 creation of space um, cross sort of leaving Busquets in the midfield Mm. for the Real goal Uh, Benzema's head up knocking it back to Ronaldo the first goal Messi taking the run to the near post beautiful ball from Sergio Sergio Roberto uh, Suarez puts in like there are two fantastic goals and then Bale again Benzema he's running off the ball was key to that goal and I guess the, the other one you could it was a pretty obvious foul. Like how he got, how Suarez got away with that foul on Varane. Varane, I, I have no idea. There were a couple of absolutely baffling refereeing decisions. Um, 
but which we I'm sure we'll get to in due course. But um, the yeah. quality of the strikes, I mean, the the Bale equaliser was absolutely stunning, um, and it actually it actually seemed to 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 be reminiscent of, um, I guess, the one that springs to mind is is uh, the Rooney volley against Newcastle, where it's it's a kind of an expression yeah. of his frustration with a refereeing decision. Um, maybe Bale's was a frustration essentially with just how um, his his season and maybe his Both overall time, time with Real Madrid's yeah. gone. That um, you know he was a surprise that he was in there from the start. Um, you know he's he's kind of had a a, a very odd strange spell at this club and here was a moment where he just obviously just felt I'm just going to have a go at this and I'm going to stick it and to, to the top corner and actually but, stick it down a few people's throats as well who want to have a go but Owen what I found interesting about Bale's performance was I thought given the opportunity I, I when I saw his name on the, the lineup, I thought here we go he's going to impose himself he's going to, obviously he's going to try and impose himself on this game but I don't think he did like he took his goal very well be it a very very quiet game. I think that's been the, the 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 story arc of his time in in Spain, really, because I think that ultimately, um, maybe this is unfair to the Premier League, but you know, Premier League in in many ways is a bit of a highlight reel. You know where you know you can you can have those moments in the spotlight, and then you kind of build that narrative based on those um, kind of isolated incidents. Um, obviously, Bale previously in the Premier League has dictated games from start to finish, and he's been immense. But uh, in La Liga, he hasn't. It's it's been fits and starts, um, and like that, here is a perfect example of it. He he wasn't he wasn't really he didn't really chart much of a course, um, and and then you know the goal happens, and that kind of brings him a degree of the spotlight um, obviously in terms of rescuing a point and rescuing a draw in superb fashion yeah he'll he'll get his own type of headline what was, what was your sense of that challenge on uh, Umtiti in the, the first half just before the um, the send off incident like it looked like and I don't think Bale's a, a very malicious player and I hate to use the phrase he's not that kind of player I, I, I don't know if it was a case of Umtiti really just getting the two of them getting tangled mm. or do you think it was? Do you think it was as bad as it looked? Because that that looked like a pretty vicious challenge with the studs up the back of the calf. There was, yeah, there was, there was that one, and there was another one. I can't remember who it was. Uh, he had Bale had one one before that, uh, where he was warned. He, he had a, I think he had a kick at Rakitic. Maybe that's um, the one I'm thinking of as well. In the yeah, in the first half, um, roundabout, you know, guess what we'd call the old right half position. Yeah. And he, he took him from behind. Yes. And I thought he'd get a card there. That's the one I'm thinking of. I thought, of. You, you yeah. know, yeah, and then there was the Umtiti one. So, you know, if, if, if the referee had been a little bit hard, I could have very much seen. Um, yeah, the, the, the uh, Bale one was, um, I think he took Rakitic down on the turn or something, or was it Iniesta? It was one of them. It was a, it was a, it was a it swipe, was, wasn't it? It was a swiping kind of challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was very late, and the, the player was on the turn, and it was one of these that, you know, it's you, you take a good clogging like that, you, you're never quite sure what uh, what injury can occur. So, you know, maybe again that was to your point, that might be part of his frustration. Um, but what you know, with the Ramos Suarez, with the Ramos. Um, <laughs> Uh, Messi incident where the Bale incident on TT and that kind of rolled up to the uh, to the to the sort of peak incident of the first half and that's uh, I've got to say Sergio Roberto got conned into doing that by uh, that cheeky little left back called Marcello. Um, I mean, this is this is the, the one thing about Real Madrid. Um, they've they've had this a few times. Um, 
they make it very very difficult for neutrals to get behind them um <laughs> you know and, and people may refer to it as dark art and all that sort of malarkey and, and kind of look upon it as something to to, to laud um but it's just it's just really, really irritating and annoying. Um, now, going by Valverde's reaction um, on the touchline, he knew as soon as Sergio Roberto raised his arm that he could be in trouble because it was one of those things where he sees the flailing arm and knows, well, hang on a sec, this is a... This is well, now- I think everybody in the stadium knew that except the commentators. <laughs> <laughs> you seem quite shocked it was a red card. The clue to me was there was a red card in the referee's hand. <laughs> yeah, 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 he was very subtle with it. Um, and, and let's face it, we were watching from the same dis- about the same distance away as they were. <laughs> what are you trying to say? What are you, what are you hinting at? We'll veer in a different direction with that. Um, yes, we are. But, uh, yeah. From Miami, that looked like a yellow card. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> Christ. What's happening? Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, and but the way Marcelo does it, I mean, it's like it's like you know he's been hit by. You see that little grin on his face as he walked off at oh, half time. But, I mean, it's like you know, it's like he's been hit by Ali in his prime. You know what I mean? And it's like goodness me. <laughs> You know, um, but that's uh, oh, he gets up off the deck though, and he just smirks all his way, his his way all the way to the dressing room. Yeah, and and uh, so so therefore, mind you, he wasn't you, mind you, he wasn't smirking so much when he was caught upfield the first goal, was he? Uh, no, uh, it's a funny thing. <laughs> well, Marcelo is that personality, isn't it? I mean, you thought it was a couple of was it maybe two fortnights ago or a week ago when he was being lauded for trapping a ball under his left foot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you talk about <laughs> an amazing that, skill you know, for somebody who's paid millions. Yeah, I mean, isn't it? a clip that goes fucking viral. He's a guy, he's taking <laughs> he's touch he's taking your first touch in a ball. Everyone's like, oh look at this, oh what a player! <laughs> like God Almighty! I mean, see, have we been reduced to this yeah. um, in how we rate players? Anyway, um, yes, uh, listen, Sergio Roberto should know better. Um, and it's it's a kind of a buzz off reaction, isn't it? It's just get get off me. It's a you know piss off and get out of my face. But as soon as you raise your hand, you're, you're giving the referee an excuse to come over. And particularly if there has been uh, a needle up to that point and there has been a bit of tension, a referee may want to defuse it by actually just taking severe action and you know putting a line in the sand for every player to say, listen, that's it now. Um, and unfortunately, in that particular incident, it was a Barca player. It could easily have been a Real Madrid player to do something stupid, um, and they may, may, may have been down a man. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that Valverde's reaction said a lot. It was kind of that, you know, head in the hands. He's like, listen, don't be so silly, and 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 don't be so throwaway with with uh, with by kind of going down that road, um, which which he did. And and also as well, of all the players to do it too, it's not something that Marcelo is going to kind of just you know you know shove to one side and go oh yes I, I love a little bit of mutual physicality mm, this is great this is a throwback to the way football should be played um, of course he's going to dive on the ground and roll around um, as if he's been hit by a sniper's bullet and um, but I mean and, and also you know you fast forward to the end of the game and people are talking about referees decisions um, and the penalty <laughs> that, uh, that wasn't given to Marcelo yeah. yes it was a really poor refereeing decision but ultimately because it was Marcelo at the centre of it <laughs> You get a perverse satisfaction at the fact that he is racing towards a referee and remonstrating with him at the fact that he doesn't get a, ref- uh, a decision in his favour. Um, so it swings and roundabouts, wasn't it, really? But I, th- I thought the, the, the half-time, the fact that Ronaldo went off, I thought 
Real Madrid to an awful long time to 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 find their their, their kind of rhythm. Um, it was almost like Ronaldo's gone off. How the, what the hell do we do now? They they really had great difficulty. I thought. Um, um, getting their heads into that second half and it gave Barcelona that breather led to the goal um, uh, from from Lionel Messi but you know Sumero coming in at, um, at right back Rakitic and I've tweeted this out already I thought Rakitic was absolutely magnificent it was absolutely I doubt if I've ever seen him play better than that game he's had a good season overall um, I don't think I've seen him play a bad game this year actually um, but I thought he was absolutely tremendously. He gave Semedo coverage. He was up and down the park. He was unlucky on that offside call that could have made it 3-1 Barcelona as well. So, you know, it's, it's said in the article on Forbes, there's enough in that game to keep the uh, keep Barcelona and Real Madrid fans chirping at each other for weeks on end, perhaps even years on end after that one. It's probably worth pointing out as well that um, yeah, it's, it's probably a, a phrase that's maybe uh, use more so in, in terms of uh, history rather than current state of affairs but Rakitic repeatedly in games against Real Madrid has 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 seemingly shone um, the brightest um, in terms of those big games and in terms of when those calibre of fixtures comes around. Um, he's obviously a, a player um, that, that not just Valverde but Luis Enrique could count on as well um, to, to really step up and, and deliver Okay, so I guess that you know two two they get through it. It was kind of under uh, Barcelona under a, a fair bit of pressure uh, after the bail goals, but particularly in the last few minutes. But they, they didn't really convert into chances for Real Madrid. But they've got three games left now. They've got Villarreal coming up on Wednesday. They then go to Levante and they're at home at Real Sociedad. The the worst over as long as they don't. Um, get an attack in theirs, they should be the first team to go through a Spanish 38 league game Spanish season undefeated which has got to be a little bit of a consolation to not winning Champions League or well, getting past the quarter final. It's, uh, it's immortality, isn't it? It's, um, you will forever Until the next one does it. Well, yeah, but you know, it's but really it's hard to do. We'll, get, yeah, we'll get into it later on about that sort of stuff, but I mean, it is such an immense thing to to to, to conjure in, in terms of an achievement and uh, in terms of Barcelona's pedigree and, and history for you to nestle in there and to create your own sense of history and do it on your own terms uh, is something spectacular the, the you know the other thing we've probably mentioned this at various intervals but <laughs> Valverde's first season at this club you know um, yeah. he, he went in here with a lot of uh, dare I say suspicion? Uh, people thinking he may not have ha- have the personality to deal with um, such a high-profile, high-level uh, organization and institution. Um, obviously, the Neymar stuff to kick off a season. A lot of people expressing doubts, and we now find ourselves <laughs> with three league games left, talking about Barca potentially going uh, unbeaten, and, and they should go unbeaten. And that is an absolutely mesmeric performance yeah Champions League obviously was a blow uh, but we're seeing uh, you know obviously uh, in other leagues you know a, a caliber of a, of a domestic performance is is incredibly impressive in its own right and and should be treated as such you know obviously yeah Barcelona are always seen uh, in the context of what Real Madrid do um, and that that just uh, is, is a reflection of that rivalry but um you know, a league is is over a course of a season, and a tournament is 
is short or it's its own unique thing. Um, you know, we talked about it in, in the case of Liverpool on last week's podcast where it, it's a little bit inexplicable that they're in a final. Uh, that's what tournaments do. And obviously a league situation is a much greater reflection on the dominance and the excellence of of, uh, of a team, and Barcelona have have certainly been that this season. They've been they've been an absolute joy, really. Yeah, I think just one thing before we kind of conclude the part this part one of the Soccer Report Extra podcast. I I thought it was interesting that Coutinho was the one taken off at half time. Um, quite certain that if Anders Iniesta wasn't playing his final um, uh, El Clasico, he would have been the one taken off because I thought Coutinho did a. a he wasn't uh, spectacular, but he uh, he certainly had an impact in that first half in terms of pushing Marcelo back. Um, and then uh, the second half, you started seeing the, the fact that they had to make these tactical changes. You started seeing... I keep on saying Marcelo. It's Marcelo, isn't it? Or is it Marcelo? I always get confused. Well, it's one of those things that, you know, you say something, uh, you Potato, know, frequently potato? enough, it becomes the... You know, yeah. or like, you know, you have, would, would have some people who would say, Marcelo. <laughs> you know, a lot... And then maybe that becomes the new thing. Uh, maybe, maybe um, you know, I remember, uh, yeah, I remember growing up in Ireland when uh, one of our Irish broadcasters uh, used to cover um, uh, the Champions League games involving Spanish teams. And um, you know, you you have a guy with a Dublin accent thinking that the smartest thing to do uh, is pronounce uh, various clubs and players like that. So you have Valencia. somebody going uh, Valencia. Uh, welcome to our live <laughs> coverage of Manchester United. Valencia. Um, and what you have is, is somebody who essentially sounds like an idiot. Um, so Marcelo or Marcelo, whatever it is, it's certainly not as bad as Marcelo. We all know um, who we are talking about. Anyway, that brings us into part one. We'll be back with part two in just a few seconds. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra. Keep up to speed with the podcast and get all the latest news, musings and rants from Bobby and Owen by liking us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to part two of the Soccer Report Extra podcast, and now we're going to take a look, a league, look at a league that uh, we really don't talk very much about. But um, it was in the news last week, and it's going to be in the news next season because there's going to be a hell of a lot of interest in it because of Steven Gerrard signing on as the new manager of Rangers, which puts him in head-to-head confrontation with Brendan Rodgers, who is his coach at Liverpool well um, Stephen Gerrard was captain of Liverpool um, I think it was a surprise when Brendan Rodgers went to Celtic this is an absolute shocker that Stephen Gerrard is leaving the Liverpool under 18s <laughs> to take one of the hottest of the hot managerial seats in the world <laughs> people don't realise I don't think anyway Like S- Scotland is pr- very much a backwater as far as soccer is concerned um, has been for the last few years but when you're attracting 50,000 people to Ibrox and mm. over f- nearly 60,000 people each week to uh, Parkhead you still have an incredible passion for the game 
and there's incredible interest and you know despite what he's saying about this being a no-brainer I'm not sure it was a no-brainer this is uh, an absolutely bizarre appointment for a couple of different reasons Um, firstly you're exactly true in what you've just said Um, the reaction to a lot of uh, supposedly educated and well-read analysts of the game uh, in England has been that uh, well you know what it's somewhere for Stevie to cut his teeth Um, as if Stephen Gerrard is is taking over fucking Chesterfield Um, Mm -hmm. but of course he wouldn't do that because that would uh, require him uh, stepping down into an environment that he's unfamiliar with at least with Rangers he stays uh, in a high profile position and it's the same thing that that, that became apparent with Ryan Giggs Um, Giggs uh, you know had a caretaker spell in charge of Manchester United and then clearly felt that there was absolutely no part of him that could take on a League One job uh, or maybe a lower tier championship gig that it would just be it would just be too weird because it's not a level that he's familiar with um, so you know I, I look at the Jared appointment and for him I think that there's an element of ego to it um, it, it, it continues um, to be uh, you know an environment where there's a spotlight and a media focus for him uh, which he's well used to um, and you know that makes sense for Stephen Jarrett. It makes sense for him to take on a job that, um, you know, is in the upper echelons of, of football circles. Um, but the thing is that he has absolutely no experience of this. Um, it's another example of of people presuming that coaching and playing are the exact same thing. Um, and of all the places to go, I mean, you've alluded to it. Um, Scotland may be, yeah, a, a place that many people w- would think of as as somewhere that doesn't matter as much as other places. But it's an incredibly intense, uh, ferocious football environment, and and not just that Celtic and Rangers. But you look at other clubs who who care deeply about their fortunes, about who comes in, and about who who um, either does things well or or poorly. Um, and it's you know it's it's got the be- it's it's got the better of a lot of other people before Stephen Gerrard, uh, people who came in possibly um, underestimated and underappreciated the surroundings, uh, did not do uh, their research, did not do uh, you know enough um, probing in terms of what it's like. It does remind us a little bit about John Barnes and Kenny Dalglish, doesn't it? There's a similar kind Le- of feel to it. Liam Brady. Um, yeah, another one. You know, yeah. Souness. You even would have thought that Souness would have had a, a far but greater Souness, understanding. But, but Souness had a ton of money behind him, right? Yeah, massive. That's amount. the thing. Yeah. You look at you look at like rattled some of these numbers off as well in the Forbes Forbes article I did over the weekend. Is Rangers are sitting on consolidated losses of twenty four million pound at the moment. The revenue each year, uh, or it was up to the, uh, June uh, two thousand seventeen, was twenty nine million. They had a loss, I think it was £6.6 million. They're up against a Celtic team that is revenue with the Champions League of about £90 million. It's turned a profit in eight of the last 11 years. Mm. Like, there's looking at some of the interviews of the Rangers fans, and I, you know, putting a whole bunch of things aside, I can understand why fans look upon look upon it as the best possible turnout you know, or turn or, or turnout or, or or outcome I should say. Uh, they'll look at it from here's an inspirational player, so he's going to be an inspirational leader off the park as well, notwithstanding that it's not necessarily 
the same characteristics you're looking for. Uh, it's okay when you're strapping on strapping on the boots and getting on the park and running around and you have a certain amount of control yourself. To stand on the sidelines and realise you've abdicated uh, responsibility to 11 players, three or four of them which are complete numpties, <laughs> um, is a completely different thing. Um, and and it, you know these things become clear over a period of time and they, they, they don't always roll out as well as they should. And I think one of the, one of the most interesting um, kind of pieces or the points I saw made over the last few days was the fact that Derek McInnes of Aberdeen turned this job down. Mm. Like, here's a guy who has been in England, he's been in Scotland, he's successful in Johnson, he's done a really good job at Aberdeen, but he was smart enough to turn this down. So, what does Steven Gerrard know that Derek McInnes, who is much more, let's say, acclimatised uh, to Scotland than Steven Gerrard, what does Gerrard know that Derek McInnes doesn't? And I'm not sure he knows anything more than Derek McInnes. I think he's maybe a little bit seduced by, as you say, the stature of the club. And on the face of it, you could say, well, there's nothing to lose. Unfortunately, there's always something to lose. And I think in, in this case... People are also forgetting this isn't about Rangers taking on Celtic. Rangers haven't taken on Aberdeen and Hibs yet. <laughs> like they're not clearly the second team in Scotland uh, after their you know their demotion in 2011-2012 and starting in the fourth tier and working their way up. They still haven't won a trophy from from then. And clearly, um, I'm not saying Aberdeen are clearly better than Rangers or Hibs are clearly better than Rangers either. But there's three of them in that, that kind of bunch at the moment, and they've got Kilmarnock coming up behind them under Steve uh, Steve Clark, who's done a hell of a job. And you know that that really is it's job one is not knocking rain, knocking Celtic off. Job one is establishing Rangers as the second best team in Scotland first. But I'm not sure there's a lot of the fans really understand that or perhaps even appreciate that. Well, I think that uh, I mean, firstly, what Gerard needs to do is establish himself as a coach, um, because he hasn't done that yet whatsoever and and uh, the, 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 I mean for Rangers here is the decision for Rangers uh, you can either look at the chaos that's engulfed their club the inner turmoil that has seen them treat Graham Murty absolutely horribly um, a guy who's come in and, and tried to do the, the, the best thing and, and, and to try to do the job to the best of his abilities treated so callously um, all of the other coaches that have come in there and have absolutely left so quickly and had their reputations tarnished as a result of it. Um, you can either, if you're a part of that boardroom, look at why these things have happened repeatedly and try to fix those problems and look at this as a, a kind of a, a medium to long-term plan where you're like, listen, let's clean house and let's figure out why these mistakes keep on cropping up. Or you can do something like this, which for me is an extension, a larger degree of, of a Joey Barton signing. You're trying to make some sort of um, PR move, like a big budget yeah. sort of step, where you, what you do is, is maybe it's, not, I'm not saying that it's, it's all done to piss Celtic off, but what you will have from the start of next season and through the summer is, uh, an absolute intense interest and focus on what's happening at Rangers merely because of Stephen Gerrard's presence there. Um, now, that brings with it 
bad things as well as good things because the track record with this club is that things will go absolutely off the rails very very quickly and it'll be Gerard at the centre of it um, and I think that I mean that's the decision that Rangers are faced with and they've decided to, to go down this route um, and, you know whether or not listen we could all be here in a couple of months going Stephen Gerrard has, has won you know eight of his first ten games and charges and it isn't this great but you can only judge something on form and you can only judge something about um, the recent history and recent history tells us um, that the decision making at Rangers is absolutely barmy at the best of times um, and that this time it, it, yeah, it's Stephen Gerrard at centre of it. It could have just been somebody else. Gerrard's got no coaching background. He's got no pedigree in terms of how boardrooms are run, how decisions are made at that level. Um, there is no reason why Gerrard will not turn into uh, a Mark Warburton, um, a Graham Murty, whoever else that you can remember having dark in that door. Um, and also, Gerrard as a coach does not have... Um, a track record or a reputation that he can bring into this job where you can go oh well you know in his previous job it took him a bit of time to work this out and blah 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 there's none of that so it's it's a it's a bit of a crazy appointment um, it's crazy for, for a few reasons uh, you wish him well you you, you, you uh, everyone needs to start somewhere everyone needs to have their first step on a ladder it's a very very curious one for Jared. I said it on Twitter when it happened surely there were better options for him uh, in terms of his coaching career um, and obviously he felt for whatever reason that this made sense um, you know but perhaps that, that, that really brings into focus the, the role of Gary McAllister mm. and how much is reliant on McAllister actually uh, doing the coaching and McAllister actually being having some experience with Scottish football um, beyond uh, you know beyond just knowing what's happening in Scotland following the league tables like McAllister um, although he was very much made his name in England, still has that that kind of Scottish connection, and has perhaps built uh, has a, a little bit more idea of the mentality. So it'll be really interesting to see, I think, how much coaching Gerard actually does, and how much of it is really is McAllister, and Gerard perhaps is more is more the front man in the face of the uh, um, the face of the club rather than actually the the tactical brain behind it. Uh, you wanted to stay with Scotland to mention a very crucial yes. story that also happened at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I had the pleasure of watching Dundee and Hamilton first thing on Saturday morning, and I'd have to say that if I wasn't so died in the <laughs> if I hadn't started watching Dundee many, many years ago, I would have turned it off within about 15 seconds. It was just absolutely awful. Like you got 22 guys running around trying to play the game at a pace that they're, they're just not capable of doing it at well. And it was just, it was, but Dundee won. That's probably the most important thing because they're now, uh, I wouldn't say certain, but there was a massive stride uh, to stay in the Scottish Premier League for next year. And it was all down to a penalty save with just a few minutes left uh, that uh, Hamilton probably were second best all through the game then got this penalty with probably about seven or eight minutes to go and uh, Elliot Parrish uh, dived to his right saved it Dundee won one nothing, and now they're on 36 points can't be automatically relegated the worst that could possibly happen is they go into a uh, a playoff situation with one of the teams coming up from the first division of the championship which could be Dundee United as well uh, but I think even I think uh, one point from the last two games, which is against Partick and Ross County, is enough to guarantee safety for them. So a massive sigh of relief again. But I say that massive sigh of relief because I know 
one of these years and it's coming quicker than I would like it they're going to be relegated again <laughs> what we can look forward to is, is when they do stay up this season uh, you can look forward to next season um, their absolutely beautiful style of football getting the better of Stephen Gerrard and Rangers um, oh, him like they've got they've got um, they've got a, a, a young guy um, Whiten who's playing wide left uh, and he's just he's just a thoroughbred compared to the rest of them, but they hardly give him the ball. Like he just cruises past the fullback, he just glides across the park. He's he's had some injury problems this year, but he really is you know a kind of player that you that Scotland doesn't really produce too many of anymore. And he's almost like treated like an alien by the rest of the team because <laughs> they have no. He's just on a different planet as far as the game's concerned. It's so different. Well, he obviously the rest won't be around there long. Oh, they're just running around, kicking anything that moves, and it's just like it's it's just one one touch, second touch boot. <laughs> it's just you got Darren O'Day and um, and Stephen Cocker at centre back, and um, wow, that, there's that's, a partnership. That's kind of hel- yeah, that's this kind of helped them. They haven't played too badly, and at least they've got that kind of solid centre defence. But you know, O'Day wasn't. Odia, I should say, wasn't a, a bad player, and, and Stephen Calkers had his personal problems. But you know, they're relegated to just get it forward, just get it forward, and these, these guys just chase and chase and chase. Maximum effort, minimum skill. <laughs> the slogan uh, for the Scottish yeah, Premiership yeah. for <laughs> where skill a long where skill time. goes to die. Yeah, <laughs> but I still watched it, so that says a lot. Anyway, that brings us into part two. And we'll be back with part three and hopefully we'll talk about something a little bit more skillful in part three. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra with Bobby McMahon and Owen O'Callaghan. Be sure to follow them both on Twitter. Links are in the show notes below. Now back to the show. Welcome back to part three of the Soccer Report Extra podcast and let's get right into Premier League. Liverpool-Chelsea on Sunday. Chelsea... uh, Oliver Giroud, another goal for him. Um, although, you know, like, God, sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take go off on a little bit of a tangent here, and I won't name names. But I was watching the, I'd watched the Arsenal Burnley game because it was Arsene Wenger, and I thought, you know, blah blah blah, I should watch that game. And then at half time, they showed on station not to be named, but the Oliver Giroud goal. And they mentioned Giroud scoring goals, and somebody said, "I wonder if Arsenal regret letting him go." Why? Well, did you not watch him when he was playing for Arsenal? We know he can score goals, but he can't friggin' run, and they couldn't change the style of the team to do that. Nobody's ever questioned he's a good goal scorer. I don't think anyway. I haven't, but his style doesn't. And take a look at Lacazette, and take a look at. Uh, Obama Yang, they're not doing too bad, are they? Anyway, that's my bitching complaint. Um, anyway, you watched the Liverpool Chelsea game, I think. Yes. Uh, you watched the Liverpool Chelsea game, and uh, Chelsea came away with three points and still are not out of contention for fourth spot. Although, having said that, it would require Liverpool, I think, to lose their last game and Chelsea to win their last two. Still in with a shout. Finishing with. I'm not going to say flourish, but certainly with better than they have served Panache. up in the yeah. previous uh, majority of the season. Um, it's a strange one, isn't it? You, you, it? The season's kind of 
flittering towards the finish line. Um, so a game like Chelsea Liverpool that at another juncture of the season and when circumstances are a little bit different would have got you a lot more kind of revved up and a lot more interested. Yeah. It kind of had the feel of a of a bit of a mid-table sort of clash. You know, um, Chelsea, yeah, trying to finish well and then Liverpool obviously would have focused elsewhere and it clearly was the case with Liverpool you know it's it's um we talked about it last week we talked about how Klopp was going to deal with this um because you still want to make sure of a top four and now yeah you know there there it still looks likely that they will make it but you have a little bit of a a, a hesitancy um before you you can confirm it um and then, and and of course, even if they don't, they still have the extra chance with uh, Champions yeah, League final correct. as well, don't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's Brighton. I think it's Brighton to play next Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Um, but that's uh, Anfield. So you would think you would think there'd be enough to push them across the line. But yeah, but uh, they are, they are going to be very much aware of the bigger date on May 26. Yeah, and I thought that it was uh, it was interesting. Conte um, afterwards just saying that you know if he'd asked people a month ago. Um, you know about Chelsea and about Champions League coaching next year it would have been rendered as absolute fallacy it would have been impossible um, and here they are uh, and it was just another reminder of just how weird this Premier League season has been um, you know yes you have um, a Manchester City that, that have run away you've got a Manchester United who, who could genuinely and probably will finish in second place in the Premier League title who have been an abomination at so, at so many intervals Um and it's just an odd, you know, you know. Obviously, Arsenal have the unmitigated failure, the absolute disaster of finishing sixth, um, and you know, to the point where their manager is gone. Um, so it's very, very peculiar. And this game kind of added another layer to it. Um, it certainly wasn't uh, high octane. It certainly wasn't uh, too much of a of a uh, you know thrill fest. Um, but yeah, it was uh, you know the Giroud goal um, gets up between Van Dijk and Lovren. Um, you know they had some decent performances. Uh, Courtois was good. Um, Cahill was very good, I thought, as well. Yeah. So here's a, here's a, here's a question for you, Owen. The the the, the rumor mongers have it, tell us that uh, Chelsea are interested in Martial. Hmm. Is this a is this the preclude um, to Hazard going? Uh, I think you would look at the personalities of both the players, on-field personalities, obviously, and they would they would be similar. Um, you know, in an ideal scenario, you'd have one on one side and the other on the other in a front three, and potentially it would be electrifying. But we've talked about Hazard before um, in terms of what his next move is going to be. Uh, but where is it? You know, where is he going to go? I think we we touched on that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, could depend on the World Cup he has, couldn't it? I I think so. Uh, but I think that mm, knowing Premier League and, and your elite clubs are in Europe, you know, a recruitment drive for players would have begun before this uh, World Cup summer begins. I'm I'm sure there are clubs who have already have their eye on him. And, I'm not I'm not so sure. You look at this. When does the World Cup start? June? What June? First week or second week in June? Second Remember the transfer yeah. windows open only only opens June one, right? I think you're going to see a lot of business done post World Cup. Oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. But just in terms of um, 
you know, Targets. The, yeah, and, and the initial contact being made between okay. representatives and clubs, um, all and, above and, board, all oh, above board. Oh, com- completely. Yeah, just just messages on WhatsApp. That's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I think as well, Martial's time uh, under Mourinho at United uh, is is he's well not, he's just not a, he's just not a, a Mourinho player, is he? Uh, certainly not. Um, the one interesting element in all of this. Um, is because swap deals are uh, de rigueur now. Yeah. Um, you, it, it's not outside the realms of possibility for Jose Mourinho potentially to go back into the market and look at someone like Willian. Um, yeah. And 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 maybe use Martial as as leverage. Um, Beat. I, yeah. I'm 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 not sure. This is just me throwing it out there as a suggestion. In terms of Martial, certainly not being. A Jose Mourinho player and Willian, one hundred percent being uh, yes. absolutely adored by Mourinho, um, and quite yeah. rightly, um, that that could be something that develops. But I mean, Chelsea, a really interesting summer ahead for them. Um, even even if they get Champions League football, it, you know, Conte's gone um, because of of how much of a, of a setback this season's been. You can definitely, definitely, um, you know, look at a, a number of their of their players heading out the door as well. Uh, so it's, yeah, I mean it's 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 a, a very very interesting uh, few months ahead for them. Um, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do manager wise and and obviously target wise as well in regards personnel. Which leads us to another club who are looking for a manager, and uh, it was the last home game for Arsene Wenger at Emirates against Burnley. Here's my question leading into it. How come I'm seeing David O'Leary sitting in that director's box or that uh, club box so much? Oh, this is um, this is a, this is a something that's cropped up uh, at at a couple of uh, a couple of junctures this season. I'm not sure what his relationship is uh, with the club, but he's 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 been there a number of times. Um, there's definitely a link in there. Uh, it's not just the fact that he used to play for them. <laughs> um, no, um, um, I think oh, I I wouldn't want to go and, and say something that's not correct. Um, it's not like a representation or something. Like but that, you but. you're the same as me. I find it suspicious. Uh, it, it's it. I mean, anytime <laughs> David Leary crops up everywhere, I think you're perfectly within your rights to think it's uh, that it's suspicious. Well, remember, remember when we used to uh, when the old so- Fox Soccer Report, like he was. I think I referred to him as the Grim Reaper. <laughs> like he'd appear in the he'd appear in the the grandstand as, as soon as somebody's job was in any level of doubt. Well, then he disappeared for <laughs> he's disappeared for quite a while, isn't yeah. he? Um, I'm not even sure what was yeah. the last uh, coach job. Was he in the Middle East? Um, yeah, that's 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 my that's where everyone goes eventually, yeah. don't they? Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what he's been doing since. Um, oh, so so anyway, that's one you want to keep on watching. But uh, Arsene Wenger saying off five nothing, pretty impressive stuff. But uh, two players I want to talk about. First one's Mavropana, Mavropanis. Oh, okay. Very early after two games, but God, does he look? He kind of looks good. He kind of looks like a centre half. Oh, careful, careful now, <laughs> careful how many times he's been bitten by this. No, but he, uh, you know, six foot four and he, you know, he's, I know, I know it's, you know, did, it's, it's, it's did, easy. Did Kalasnic not start his Arsenal career with, with everyone going, who is, who is this absolute yes. animal? Yeah. And then that quickly fell on its arse. 
Yeah, but he's young, and if if he if he comes through in the way he's kind of indicated, he could turn out to be a real bargain. But anyway, the other one that uh, and once again I've, I have been bitten on this one. I've been bitten many times on this one. But what the hell's up with Callum Chambers? He's had three good games in a row. <laughs> quick, quick. For anyone who's got him in their fancy football team, sell, sell, sell. Because it won't last longer than three games, surely. Um, but he's, he started looking like he, the player he kind of should be at centre-back. He's he's no longer dribbling out in the back thinking he's the reincarnation of Franz Beckenbauer. He's actually well, being quite, quite physical and he's not taking any risks. It's kind of like a new player. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's weird. Maybe the Wenger thing has done weird things to people. Um, there is a freedom. You've seen it with other teams. You've seen it with with, uh, with West Brom. You take a little bit of the pressure off and players respond in yeah. absolutely bizarre ways to that. Um, you have the guys who relish the intense... Yeah. Uh, the intensity of, of a big game, big occasion, and you've got other people who absolutely crumble. And maybe it's to do with, with Chambers' mentality. Um, you know, Wenger going, the season kind of ending prematurely in terms of that, a bit of a ce- celebratory mood uh, around the place. Uh, pressure is, is certainly not what it was um, when compared to other uh, intervals uh, of the season maybe that's played into it maybe he feels a little bit more comfortable in himself um, because yeah you're absolutely right um, in terms of, of where he was when he was signed by the club and, and the level of of, uh, of eagerness that people had uh, in terms of what he could do and, and where he finds himself over the last you know 9 to 12 months um, you know it's been a, a really really steady collapse um, hopefully a bit of change in things can help him yeah, what what I'd found interesting, and in, uh, just uh, some people had made some comments on some of the boards um, about his performance, uh, not just at Old Trafford, but his performance coming on as substitute um, against uh, Atletico Madrid, and up against likes of Diego Costa. And there was a couple of Middlesbrough fans ch- chirped in and said he's time in Middlesbrough. He was actually very solid, and you know that's not a word that would necessarily have described his time at, um, at at Arsenal so I just wonder, I think it's it's just going to be interesting watching him over um, the new managerial regime, whoever it is and see how he adapts to it, but finishing with the fact that Arsene Wenger's, you know, you got two more games left so I'm sure we'll talk about Wenger a little bit more in the next couple of podcasts but I um, thought it was great Mertesacker coming on for the last 15 minutes because I still believe that one of the greatest individual performances I have ever seen was Mertesacker in the cup final last year against Chelsea. Doing what he did with so many, with so few uh, minutes under his belt, I thought was absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think he ever really got credit for that performance. I think, firstly, you're you're 100 right. Um, the BFG. Um, he's always come across as a very solid, intelligent, uh, <laughs> astute guy as well. Um, but I thought it was very, um, you know, it it, it was al- not alarming. It's I don't want to be as as uh, uh, as exaggerative as that, but um, it was very very uh, clear that Arsenal are saying goodbye to a lot of people at the same time. 
Um, yes, Wenger gets the headlines, yeah. but I think it was noticeable uh, that Vic Akers um, is is also retiring. Yeah. Again, not many people may recognise Vic Akers, but um, he he has been an Arsenal for so long. Uh, but but mainly um, his work with the women's team, uh, which which was absolutely outstanding. Um, he's the, he's been the kit man. Um, for for a very very long time, I, I guess since Wenger has been there as well, um, so you have that relationship. Uh, obviously, Mertesacker is moving on, um, and it's it, it it's it's really ec- mm, we're still we're still going to find out about Santi Carzola, right? Yeah, and there's a there's a few of them. It, it's kind of like a clean sweep. It's um, you mentioned it months ago um, when there were a number of arrivals to Arsenal, um, and and you said it at the time that it was. It was clearly a strategy um, that, that that you were proven absolutely correct um, in terms of the board and, and and maybe just making changes around Wenger that he would have very very quickly spotted himself um, that that he was effectively the next yeah. to, to to be you know asked politely to to move on um, but that was that's what struck me Mertesacker part of that um, part of that crew who's who's kind of waving goodbye and it it, it was it was weird it was you know sometimes you uh, you have those moments where uh, you know, there's a one of my favourite shows growing up was uh, was Cheers, and in the finale of Cheers, you have the very final shot with Sam Malone uh, in the bar, and he kind of walks through an empty em- an empty Cheers after saying goodbye to Norm and who leaves, and the scene is just Sam in the empty bar and there's no one around, which obviously um, was never the case in Cheers. There was always someone there, uh, but it was the the reminder that you're starting an, a new era now. You go to bed, you wake up the next morning, everything has changed, uh, and Arsenal find themselves there there was a lot of emotion in the stands you, whenever the camera cut um, you know to, to, to men of a certain age you could see just how cut up they were because I think it was becoming apparent to them that this is the moment when they wake up the next day and all of the rules have changed and you, you have to things, start things will never be the same again whether you're pro-Wenger or anti-Wenger exactly the reality and, is it's a new world yeah and, and the surrealness of Arsene Wenger after 22 years saying goodbye to these people in the stadium um, you know it's only when that thing is happening uh, that you that you get a lump in your throat and no matter if you were the guy that idiot who was paying for a plane to be flown up overhead um, saying Wenger out I'm sure you feel like a, a, a proper sorry lad um, when you see this guy also what's, what's really apparent um, with Wenger we're brought up in an era now where you watch figures of authority and figures of influence say words in front of big crowds that are written for them by other people. It's very hard to take them at face value because it's a construct and it's not real and there's a lack of authenticity to it. And it took Wenger, here was this ceremonial pomp and all that sort of stuff and inflatables and pictures of him on the grass and all that sort of weird thing. Um, But it took him to just speak words, uh, speak really, really important words uh, to get his message across. I mean, firstly, starting by acknowledging Swalix Ferguson and all that sort of stuff, that was really crucial. But also the fact that he touches on precisely what he brought to the club, which is values, a sense of uh, worth, a sense of um, appreciation, something that went beyond just football being played with players on a pitch and hopefully that that extended to the people who came in through the turnstiles as well and I just felt that it was the, the kind of measure of the man 
um, that you scrape everything away and, and you're left with a guy who is just himself uh, and even on the kind of moments where he uh, should probably be cut up and an emotional wreck and all that sort of stuff he still remains true to, to who he is um, and I just thought it was wonderful I thought his his role in it uh, not everyone else's who I thought kind of made a bit of a meal of things for various reasons I thought that Wenger absolutely played a blinder and it was it was great to see him that um, in, in, in that sort of zone and uh, still being exactly who he is I thought it was great that brings us to the end of part 3 and we'll be back with a wrap in just a couple of seconds you're listening to Soccer Report Extra keep up to speed with the podcast and get all the latest news musings and rants from Bobby and Owen by liking us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra now back to the show Welcome back to part four in the wrap-up of Soccer Report Extra. This is where we bring in producer Luke Crawford. What do you have for us this week, Luke? Pronouncenames.com Marcelo Ah, now we know. I'll have Marcelo. to work on that hype. Sorry, we haven't replaced Luke with a, with a computer. Marcelo. Is, it, is that what's happened? <laughs> And why is the computer just saying Marcelo all the time? This is this is a weird development in the course of the podcast. Anyways, that's how you pronounce Marcelo. Marcelo. Okay. Oh, no, we know. Uh, the only other okay. the only other little tidbit I have is uh, yeah, your instincts are correct, Owen. Uh, David O'Leary's most recent appointment was at Al Ali in Dubai. Oh, oh goodness. <laughs> that would be Al Ali. Yeah. <laughs> Al Ali. <laughs> 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 yeah, good luck with David O'Leary there on his uh, o- unveiling as manager. Um, it's always great um, uh, to be I've here. Got um, new babies. Have, um, the babies. Uh, the babies. The babies. The babies. The babies. The babies of Alalali. Al- um, no, David, that's not how we pronounce it here. Um, okay. Um, so, uh, David was never the best at pronouncing names in his uh, coaching career. That's all I've got. Okay, so thanks very much, everyone, for listening. On behalf of producer Luke Crawford, Ona Callahan, and myself, Boy McMahon, thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. For someone who's so keen to snuggle, you cause a lot of trouble. Thanks for listening to Soccer Report Extra. To keep tabs on the podcast and get all the latest news, musings, and rants from Bobby and Owen, like us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Music for this podcast graciously provided by Manitoba's hottest indie pop group, Misery Slims. Check them out on Spotify and YouTube and follow the band on Facebook at Misery Slims. Misery Slims.